I know what you're thinking, punk. You're thinking, did he fire six shots or only five? Now, to tell you the truth, I forgot myself and all this excitement. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and will blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Welcome to Filmstrip, featuring Rod. It'll be my word against yours. And Jay. I got to know. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. This is our review of The Deadpool, starring Clint Eastwood, Liam Neeson, Evan A. Kim, Patricia Clarkson, and Jim Carrey? Directed by Buddy Van Horn. Released in 1988 on a budget of $31 million, earned 37.9 at the box office. I really wrote down here in our little background section as we do the intro to the show, Ron. So it's five years since the last film. Why? <laughs> why, are, why are we back here? Clint is in his 60s now. Why is he not retired from the force? Uh, I can only imagine that in, in the case of the character, what's Dirty Harry going to retire to? I, I thought he ran off with the artist murderer Jennifer in the last movie. I think he did until their <laughs> until they acrimonious don't. breakup began. <laughs> well, see, but that's the thing. They were still together when this was made, so I don't know where where's Sandra Locke. So, uh, well, maybe they realized nobody wanted to see that again, ever. Right. <laughs> and it shouldn't right. have happened at all. Yeah. You made a joke last time that the world needed a 58-year-old action hero before Liam Neeson came along, and I had forgotten he was in this film. <laughs> and now I'm like, so taken in a, you know, in one of those fan theory universes, Peter Swan goes on to become that guy after running into Dirty Harry 20 years before. <laughs> That's a good uh, I like that fan theory. I'm I, on board with that theory. I think I could write an article for Cracked. <laughs> so yeah. Just based on that. Um well, boy, yeah, we we get uh well, the whole thing here is it's an interesting time. It, it, in a lot of ways, I feel like this movie is a send-up of the Hollywood celebrity status of the action hero. Because they even make Dirty Harry like a star in this movie. Like He's, he's on magazine covers now. The TV journalists want to fawn over him and do interviews of him. It's almost like those Asian, those Asian girls were talking to him again or something. I Clint needed an ego boost or they just decided to play this. I don't know. But it's a different feel this time around the Deadpool. It, it doesn't really – it feels better than the last one did. It feels better than Sudden Impact. I uh, guess because yeah. he looks so old, it, it <laughs> makes more sense that he's like an antique cop. Yeah. Uh, you're the last of a dying breed, Callahan, or whatever they say. Yeah, the, the angry – You're a dinosaur. Yeah, the angry captain that's yelling at him you know, for reasons. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Why bring back Dirty Harry after all these years? That you know, Clint has said in interviews and things that he he likes having characters that you every now and then you just think, oh, I wonder what he'd be up to now. And the answer should have been fishing <laughs> somewhere or something else, because I don't know that I was really curious to know what Dirty Harry was doing at this point in his life. But Yalo, we're here and and we go again. I I just think that. Uh... 
the only thing I can think of is that Clint Eastwood was kind of in a fallow period and he needed some money. I, maybe, maybe that was it. I don't know. It, it's a strange thing to bring him back for such a random story. I mean, can we say it? I mean, this is, I don't know. It, it's a, it's an odd thing to shove dirty Harry in and I couldn't find anything about it in researching it, but this, this feels like a, another movie. And then they said, ah, we'll let dirty Harry be in that. You know, and and that's how it went. I think it was more like, hey, remember Dirty Harry? That name still can sell some tickets, right? Yeah, At late eighties. Let's find out. Yeah, probably. I mean, so. What are, you, what are they going to do? Make Jim Carrey the star? James Carrey? James? Yeah, they, as they called him, James Carrey. And this uh, this version, he was a no one. So we'll, we'll get to him in a minute. He's going to be fun. So yeah, I look um, forward to getting to him. He's the best part. <laughs> and sadly, he's the first five minutes. So so it's going to be a it's going to be a quick trip to get to him. So uh, I'll tell you what. Why don't they give us the quick plot and we'll go through this? So <clears throat> a schlock horror director named Peter Swan, played by Liam Neeson, plays a game with his crew known as the Deadpool where they each choose a set of 10 celebrities who they think will die before a certain period of time ends based on their high-risk lifestyles. Problems start when people on Swan's list actually begin to die in order and in mysterious circumstances. And while investigating the deaths, Harry Callahan discovers he is on Swan's list as well. After his partner Quan is hurt but not killed, Harry tracks down a lead they learn together who turns out to be an obsessed psychotic fan of Swan's named Harlan Rook. When Rook abducts a local TV reporter Harry's become fond of, Callahan swoops into the rescue and ultimately kills Rook with a harpoon gun, walking off into the moonlight of never be continued land as credits roll. And that's the quickest way I can sum up the Deadpool. The, that's, that's about it. There's not a lot of depth there. There's not, it's the shortest of the dirty Harry films. It's 91 minutes. And if you take out the title sequences, it's more like 83. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty quick. And, uh, buddy Van Horn is another one of the, uh, Clint Eastwood cronies is actually a stunt coordinator. That's pretty well what he's known for is doing stunts on Eastwood films and second unit work. But he, he got the quote director's chair this time, which I think most people interpret as Clint tells me what to shoot and I shoot it. And that that's how that went down. Yeah, that, that seems about right. You think the same thing was the case for uh, any which way you can? Probably so. <laughs> I would imagine Clint's like, I'm not going to wear all these hats. I'll just I'll just be the star in this one, but you can direct or whatever. And you look, Hollywood is rife with you know actors and, and people that will say, I'll let this guy direct this for me, and you know I, it's really me, but I'll let him. Spielberg propped up Toby Hooper for that with P- Poltergeist, famously, right? I, mean, I, I don't believe that theory at all. Okay, we may have to continue that discussion on another day then, because there's another one of those coming out so we might we might find ourselves locked into another series here so all right but, uh, uh, i look forward to it when everyone starts dying <laughs> well god that that is horrible so the coach survived he made it so and joe beth williams but uh maybe robbie got his teeth fixed okay we've diverted on that enough but uh the deadpool okay i i don't remember this when it came out. I, I think I was done with Dirty Harry by the time. Well, I mean, obviously I wasn't watching it in the theaters because it was 1988, but I, I didn't pay any attention to this. I didn't see this until many years later. And I ended up renting it going like, oh, there's a fifth Dirty Harry movie. And it, I actually laughed when I read the back of the box because I thought this is hilarious because I had heard of, I didn't, it wasn't called the Deadpool, but I had heard of the guest, the celebrity death. You know, they always yeah. happens in threes. I think that's even part of the movie is, is Asian American martial arts partner, Al Kwan lays that on him in this one. And I, I don't know. I thought, 
I thought that was kind of a unique way of doing this. And the thing is, and this time I'll give this this film credit for this, is they're no longer trying to hide how old Dirty Harry is. They're like, no, he's going to be an old man, and we're actually going to play up the fact that everyone would know who he is in San Francisco. Because the real people of San Francisco did not want this movie made. They protested it heavily. Yeah, it's... I mean, it makes sense that mm-hmm. the people of San Francisco wouldn't want this to happen, especially by 1987, yeah. whenever they were shooting this. Because it's a completely different San Francisco than it was in the, the, when Dirty Harry was uh, culturally relevant. Mm-hmm. And, and it's weird to me, because this was my first Dirty Harry movie that I remember watching. Oh, wow. On, like, TBS or something. They ran it once a, every month or so. Yeah, it was that kind of film. So. And it, and then I'm sure it didn't cost him too much to buy it because it wasn't terribly successful at the box office. Yeah. And I'm I'm sure you know whoever made it was just looking to recoup some cash. So yep. Ted Turner's got plenty of that. Yeah. Warner Brothers will will sell off their properties wherever they can to recoup costs. That that's well known. <laughs> oh, I thought you were picking up from there. Oh no! Yep. I I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, neither do I. So, okay, <laughs> how do we get into this? Well, let's get into the beginning of this. You know, old old man Harry. We've talked about now. Let's talk about our friend Jim Carrey here, who before anything he did anything of real note at all, he got this gig allegedly because he did his Elvis impersonation in front of Eastwood, and it cracked Eastwood up. <laughs> and he said, yeah, we'll put that kid in the movie. And the Guns N' Roses song, Welcome to the Jungle. Now, I was a Guns N' Roses fan in 1988 and 89. I had Appetite for Destruction and listened to that tape incessantly. I remember I wore the actual cassette tape out, like the fighting of it, you know, from listening to it so much. So when you open up with, you know, you have a, a horror movie, uh, what is it, uh, Swan says it's a homage to the exorcist here and you've got Jim Carrey in what may be the worst set of lip syncing I've ever seen. And I can only imagine that it was deliberately bad. Oh, I, I think Jim it totally Carrey's was because it looks like everything he did on In Living Color, right? Like he yeah. did this kind of stuff. It's hilarious. You can see it in there. It's like I see why this guy made it in the in the 90s as a as a comic uh, force because he's such a such a rubbery face. Yeah, and and I I also love the fact that the it, the name of the movie is Hotel Satan. <laughs> yeah, that and does I, sound. But here's the, yeah. I don't get what why the I don't understand what the whole point is of shooting a music video in the movie in the middle of the movie. Jo- I, Johnny Squares is a is an apparently a rock singer and who's trying to become an actor and he's doing this schlocky horror movie which sounds like a lot of other people that we know right. Let's not and, mention Paris Hilton. Thank you. Let, let's let's not go there. House of Wax. But uh, so hey folks, if you haven't seen it, she gets she gets she gets killed right in a great way. Spoiler alert. So yeah. so if you don't like her, there you go. But anyway, you, you've got you've got a, a singing star famous for you know that trying to be in a, a film actor now and they, they become this uh, what are you going to do you, you're not going to have them sing that's like having Elvis not sing in his movies you, you, so they they came up they were apparently looking for a song and because you know the Guns N' Roses album was getting ready to come out someone said ah do this welcome to the jungle tune this is a pretty rocket tune and that actually actually pushed up the release of Appetite for Destruction because thinking oh well people will want to know this song and they were right about one thing people wanted that album and that song they didn't want this movie 
here here's my question about that. Mm-hmm. In universe, is this a Johnny Squares song? It is a Johnny Squares song in universe. Yes. All right. I I couldn't get I couldn't figure out if that was supposed to be him because I kept in the background of the of the movie I kept seeing people from Guns N' Roses. Yeah, they would they did walk ons on the set like they would sort of run them through figuring that people would would find that. But like yeah. when they like Axl Rose is in the background scene. Yep. And Slash is next is shooting a harpoon gun in the nightmare scene. Exactly. So, and they're working on the boat, but they're, they're supposed to be his band apparently. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But in, in the dirty Harry universe, that is a Johnny squares song. And of course he can't, you know, he screws it up in the middle of it and they, they call take and he's, what we find out is he's, you know, well, hang on Jay. I'm sorry. I want to dig into this a little bit more. Okay. Did they not go to Axl Rose and say, Hey, you look weird. Why don't you just be in this? Apparently they had already cast Carrie and they didn't they didn't know if Rose could pull it off. So and I'll I mean, be honest with probably you, probably not. Axel Rose probably couldn't have done this. <laughs> and and probably would have taken seventeen times as long as the three days Jim Carrey actually shot on the film. So Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. I guess you're right. But I I can just imagine Axel Rose being like why don't you just let me do it? I'm, you know, an egotistical maniac. I'm pretty sure he probably said that, but they, at the time, he had no power with which to wield for that. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like he was going to withhold, they were going to withhold the song. You know, <laughs> we're going to be in the next Dirty Harry movie. Hell yeah. You know, and I'm sure they were like, hey, can we, can we come hang out on the set? So because yeah. back in those days, I mean, these guys were, I mean, these guys were pretty well homeless at that point. If you watched Guns N' Roses documentaries, so I think they they were like, yeah, sure, no problem. <laughs> can, so, can we come? Can we come eat from the table? I think they probably were just there for the craft services. Yeah. <laughs> so, which I'm at the time, Jim Carrey was probably thinking the same thing. Like, dang, good meals today. So I can only imagine in a parallel universe, this come this is made in like 1992 yeah. instead of 1989. 88 mm-hmm. and it is Axl Rose playing the Jim Carrey part. Can you, can you imagine that it would be, well, it, it would work. I mean, you know, it would, uh, it would be an incredible clash of, of Titanic egos with him and on one side and Clint Eastwood on the other. Yeah, exactly. So, um, as if we aren't going to get enough of that, it, it seems like later on in the film, but you know, you have, you have the, the one thing that was the delightful surprise to me in this movie was cause I had forgotten Liam Neeson was in it. And that it was such an early role for him. This is pre-Dark Man, if I'm not mistaken, right? Which is the first thing I knew him for. And uh, and before I really paid attention to him. And he, I don't know how Liam naturally sounds when he speaks. I don't think he's terribly different than the way he you know, normally presents. But he has put on the Cockney accent in a major way for this, this schlock horror director from across the pond for this movie. Yeah, it's it's really it, it really sounds strange, um, but I think he did it so that the guy playing Rook would have a broad accent to to uh, rip off. That's what I'm wondering. Is it because that's the thing we're led we're, we're given this misdirect for the you know most of the film is that Swan is the one behind all of this because all you see is this you know man with this clip-on ponytail and <laughs> from behind wearing all the Hotel Satan stuff marking off lists on the Deadpool you know which is the list of the celebrities and we see Callahan get put on it and all these other people go here and there and if you read in that opening sequence if you read the list there i mean it's a it's pretty well a hit list of how everybody goes down oh yeah and it's 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 very um 
the accent is is not close enough to for me that I ever believed that it was Liam Neeson killing these people. Yeah, because that's the thing though. I was going to ask, did that misdirect work for you at all? Because I I'll admit, the first time I saw this movie, I really thought it was Liam Neeson doing it, and the fact that it turned out to not be has always been a little point of disappointment for me. I would have liked to have seen like an ending part at the end where he was like, yeah, fooled the famous Dirty Harry and got rid of that annoying stalker. Yeah, exactly. Like he was still in it and then, you know, Dirty Harry to shoot him. But And I, and I killed fake Pauline Kale. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we did that too. So <laughs> that's the other thing. And I feel like that is Clint Eastwood thumbing his nose at all of his critics in Hollywood there when the critic gets it. Why else would you have that in there? I mean, I'm just surprised it wasn't like a Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, well, I, I think they are easy targets, and so, and I believe there's probably a story behind why that was that that person, so why it was portrayed as such. But I mean, but some of the same crap is happening to Harry Callahan that always happens to Harry Callahan, right? Like he just seems to sort of be. Uh, curmudgeoning his way through the set. I mean, he has the run-in with the TV uh, people after, because Johnny Squares, as we'll find out, is, is you know, of course, a drug addict, and he goes to uh, shoot up, and he ends up dying in his uh, trailer. And let me ask you this. Did somebody come in and, like, overdose? How How is it he gets taken out? Because I don't remember. They, uh, he, he, he shoots himself up, mm-hmm. and as he's enjoying his heroin... <laughs> Somebody comes in and uses a uh, an aerosol, like an inhaler, like an asthma inhaler, but full mm-hmm. of artificial opiates, and that's what makes him overdose. Like he's deliberately overdosed with these this fast uh, fast acting dope. Wow. So so then no one questions it because the guy was a dope addict anyway. That's what. Yeah, they, they even mention in the the movie like Johnny Squares is had lots of these problems with drugs. And then when they're doing his toxicology report, they mentioned that he had shot up and then taken this oral heroin solution. And, and they're like, maybe he didn't know it was going to be so powerful, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, what, what, uh, cause that's something that they were Kim references. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think didn't, uh, um, Swan's the one too, that says, you know, Johnny you know, built his whole career singing about drugs and sex. So anybody surprised this happened to him, you know? And so uh, that's why he plays it off as such. And it's only after the, what seems to be a random, uh, you know, restaurant holdup <laughs> where Harry Callahan and his partner shoot some people that we learn about the Deadpool existence because it's in the pocket of the guy that gets shot yeah i could i couldn't tell what they were supposed to be robbing uh it it looked partially like a restaurant and partially like a bank yeah but it looked like a restaurant because people are sitting around and and that's when callahan lays out his his line for this movie you're shit out of luck and i was like yeah that kind of should have said that to you about this one (laughs) because like this is not going anywhere it's like nah that ain't gonna work you know, after you've had, and at that point, go ahead and make my day was such a thing. Why not just use that again? That's what I want to know. I, I think the thing was to try to create a different catchphrase every movie. I guess, but that's a terrible one to do because especially in the 80s, you can't use that one on cable. You can't do anything with that. Matter of fact, I I think, I don't know what the edited version of it is, but it's probably something like, you're sky out of luck, you know, or, some, or something <laughs> like that. Or you're a dead duck, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. or something lame like that. I mean, it's, 
find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> exactly. So it's, I mean, you never know. It's, it's just awful. Um, how they try to force that in there. But let's talk about Harry's partner this time, Al Quan. It, it just seems to me that, like, once again, we're dealing with a Dirty Harry script that was supposed to have been made, like, eight years before it actually happened. Yeah, it seems like maybe this story was a also, – also, Jennifer's involved in the Deadpool last time. <laughs> maybe they had that going on, too. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, Johnny Squares seems like a fake Sid Vicious, yep. and he does a Sid Vicious way. Or, or Nikki Six. Who at the time was famous for his massive overdose? Yeah, so, but was he doing heroin? Uh, yeah, he was shooting up really? H when he when he died. He fell asleep with the needle in his arm. <laughs> so mm. yeah, okay. Well, so maybe it's more fitting that I just associate heroin with like seventies punk rock. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, but but and that, for me, the eighties was all about alcohol poisoning. It was that and cocaine, but but apparently the H was the dragon that Nikki liked to chase in in the crew days. But uh, neither here nor there. I mean, but again, it's like we're trying to tie in. Things though that don't have any real. I mean, why would Harry Callahan investigate random? And well, let me say this: Is the movie community in San Francisco a big deal? It seems to be played like it's Hollywood, but I'm like they they would be shooting this on a back lot in Hollywood. Why are they shooting in San Francisco in a meat market? (laughs) Yeah, that's another thing that didn't really make a lot of sense because I don't remember a lot of movies being made in San Francisco in the 80s. Yeah, no, I mean they. I mean it's a setting and you do coverage and stuff, but that kind of a thing, like even Square, uh, even Swan's thing about we got to have a refrigerated room, just like The Exorcist. You can get those in Hollywood. (laughs) They have those in L.A. That's that's no problem. You don't have to go to San Francisco because the ice is better. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a cold room in every city <laughs> in America. Yeah, you can deal with the meatpacking plant. So I don't know, but and would they shoot in a live meatpacking plant? Yeah, I mean, like it's actually work going on behind them. I mean, like Rocky's punching some ribs over to the left, Paulie's dragging out a side of meat on the other side, while Guns and Roses is standing there watching Jim Carrey lip sync to their song. It, yeah, it's uh, it seems odd. So I yeah I, I don't know. Again, feels like something that's sort of half-assed and thrown together, which is a compliment I can say about this movie because <laughs> it it really for for as as half-cocked as it is, it it actually kind of works. I mean, it's not a great story and there ain't much to it, but at least they didn't try to do five things at once like they did last time. Yeah, it feels more much more like a um, a single movie. Yeah, you know, I felt like, and, and this, I know this is after the fact, but I felt like I was watching Law & Order Criminal Intent. It seems like one of their random adventures. Yeah, you know, it, that's a good, and it's funny because I just looked on the IMDb and the, the film critic was Pauline, supposed to be Pauline Kale. <laughs> See, you pulled that out even. So. And, it, and then the, it's because in the first Dirty Harry movie, she calls it fascist and racist. <laughs> and so in the film, they made the critic look like Pauline Kale uh, and, did at the time of... Uh, shooting as a joke <laughs> and and by joke i mean uh, probably a deliberate cruel thing they were trying to do because you don't you don't piss off clint eastwood i think sandra lott could tell you that i'm pretty pretty sure yeah so <laughs> that uh, careers are ruined by it so let's talk about harry's new partner this time around al Quan. Who, by the way, Evan Kim did all of his own martial arts uh, stuff. I, I wrote down in my notes here. I was like, "So we team up Harry Callahan with with Bruce Lee type? Is that what we're doing now? That's not a bad idea." Yeah, and if they'd done it, you know, 
15 years ago when Bruce Lee was alive, it would have been an awesome movie. Oh, yeah, can you imagine? Yeah, you're a kung fu guy, right? Like, you love those things. I, oh, yeah. I, I could only think, I was like, man, that would have been like Ron's dream if in if in Magnum Force, you know, here comes Bruce Lee. So, yeah, and I'm sure they could have uh, tied it into Hong Kong somehow. Or just or Chinatown. Or, yeah, Chinatown yeah. would have been great. I, I mean, mean, that's that's how they tie in this guy. Is, it's know. not like Bruce Lee didn't live in San Francisco at that time period. Mm-hmm. Because he for sure did. Yeah. So I, maybe they're trying to go for that. I'll say this, though. I liked Evan Kim. I had a good time with him. I, I mm-hmm. thought he was a fun accomplice. And, you know, he doesn't die. He gets injured. So he's kind of like the first partner. He, he's sort of de- decommissioned. But he holds his own pretty well, too. And I love the jokes he makes. Like it, his grandfather paints all these Chinese prayers on him because he found out he's Harry Callahan's partner. Yeah, that was really funny. I I really enjoyed him in the movie, and I would have liked for him to have stuck around longer. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think it it was about time that Dirty Harry found a a partner on his level, or at least close enough to his level to hang with him. Well, I mean, how could he not hang with him? He's 30 years younger than him, at least. Right, and and I do like the... the, uh, the, the, One of the few few return lines I like from Dirty Harry was... uh, Looks like teaming me up with a Chinese American is good for the department's image. After um, Al beats up a, a thug barehanded, yeah, <laughs> dis, disarms and then beats up a thug barehanded. Yeah, exactly. So, because after everything Callahan's done, that's that's probably the least of <laughs> some of the problems they've had. So, uh, I will say this about. Uh, the way they do this, I also feel like they got a lot of younger persons so they could have some frenetic action scenes because I'm sure they, Clint said, I ain't doing that. You know, I'm going to yeah, walk as, slowly through every room. As, <laughs> as slow as he was last time, he is positively glacial. He, I mean, in this one. Yeah, and I'll say this I mean, as, as preposterous as the Taken films get with Neeson, he, he puts on a good show to be, you know, in his age doing some of this stuff. But the, uh, Callahan looks ridiculous i mean clint looks ridiculous doing this i think that a lot of that is just the passage of time back then you didn't get a lot of 60 year olds who worked out no you know and if they did they weren't doing like cardio training i mean maybe he did some jogging and there's just there is a scene where dirty harry is working out Mm -hmm. Uh, so i can only imagine that's part of it how they're they're trying to lampshade the fact that this old guy can keep up with criminals half his age or anyone i guess so i mean last time they had him jogging when he ran into you know that girl on the boardwalk and stuff so i I guess it's always to show us that hey even though he's old man they you know they're they're keeping up with him he can hang but uh you know al serves one purpose though because he does relay good information to harry along the way you know about I think Harry at some point tells him, you know, you need to wear a, a bulletproof vest if you're going to hang around me. And when they get shot up and the car gets blown up later, Al survives because he says, oh, I took some good advice from you there, you know. And that that's another like refreshing change mm-hmm. for once he's got a partner that's going to listen to him yeah. and actually take his his good advice. If you're going to team up with this guy, clearly you, you know every partner or friend he's ever had has been murdered in front of him. Yeah. You you don't want to be the next guy to get murdered. Right. Let's think about it. I mean, the first guy got shot and hurt and he went back to teaching because he didn't want to hang with that. The second guy got blown up at his mailbox. The mm-hmm. third lady got gunned down at Alcatraz. Hell, last time they didn't even give him one. And and, and previously in, in that one, he had another partner that got shot by you know trying to stop some terrorists. So, yeah, I mean, this... 
this guy is a hazard to work with for sure. Not to mention all the other cops he was just friends with also end up dead. Exactly. Yeah. Charlie McCoy and a lot of, a lot of other people get shot around dirty Harry. They did work in a lot of random Harry solves random crimes with his gun in this movie though. Um, I, I felt like that was really forced. They didn't do it as much as they did in sudden impact, but (laughs) this one, they, they were still just sort of, Oh yeah, there's some, there's a robbery going on. Bang, bang, bang. Okay. Now I'll move on. I'm like, does Harry do paperwork <laughs> at this point? Or does he just go, eh? You know, I think he just shoots the paperwork. <laughs> like, I, I imagine he walks into his, his desk at the, you know, the San Francisco police headquarters. And just from across the room, he just pulls out his magnum and he just blows <laughs> holes in the stack of reports. Like, papers flying everywhere. <laughs> I can see this, too. <laughs> and then he's like, paperwork's done. And then he walks out. <laughs> That's, this has got to be where Carrie deli- came up with his Clint, by the way, because he does a good Clint. And it's mm-hmm. like this era. I'm surprised that wasn't an In Living Color skit <laughs> so at some time or another. I'm sure it probably was. Maybe it was. I don't. I didn't watch it religiously enough to know, but I, I'm just wondering there. But what did you make though of the female counterpart this time, Patricia Clarkson, Samantha, the TV reporter who? I mean, she. I see. I mean, her camera gets thrown because she's trying to. She's you know chasing the latest celebrity death, which foreshadowed twenty years later. Wow, that's exactly how it is. And he, you know, Callahan throws the the camera, and they've been on him about having better relations with the press, and she takes that as the opportunity to very strangely hit upon him. And I'm like, lady, he's at least twenty years older than you. At least, he, he, yeah. It's like. Why don't you just go hit on one of your dad's friends if you want to yeah. sleep with an old guy? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is, uh, it was weird. But moreover, and I like Patricia Clarkson. She's good in movies, you know, from time to them. But she's horrible in this. I hate her. She is so annoying yeah, in this movie. She she really doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really a shame because she is a good actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know why. I mean, I know why she would take that role. She needs at this time, especially she needed work uh, because she's young, Mm -hmm. clearly. But I think uh, at the same time, you don't you don't put women in a dirty, hairy movie uh, because you have like good ideas for them. You put them in because, you know, teeny needs to go out on a date and, and have a gunfight. Right. Exactly. And this is super early in her career anyway, so I imagine they're not wasting a lot of time directing her. It's like, no. oh, yeah, show up, scream at the guns. Yeah, exactly. Like, duck down, you know, don't get hit by the glass. Yeah, <laughs> and, appa- and apparently that, that elevator shooting, which I did like, yeah. like, terrified her. Well, yeah, I can imagine it would, because they're firing marbles into the dang sugar glass <laughs> around her. And they failed to tell her that. Maybe it was to, you know, directors do that kind of crap all the time to get the real reaction out of people. Maybe that was one of those, you know, like uh, was the, the scene in Usual Suspects when Stephen Baldwin gets, you know, the cigarette flicked right in his eye or whatever, and he loses his mind. Apparently that was unscripted. <laughs> so, so, and it worked out just perfectly, which I'm sure he's really happy that they got put in the film. But, you know, moreover, I, don't, I just didn't buy her in this. I'm like, I, I see the idea. You got to team Harry up with somebody, but I would rather they just let this be the partner Quan. I was cool with him. He was fun. He's the most fun thing in the movie besides, you know, Jim Carrey who's already dead and was there to be the, the law and order kickoff. Yeah, that's, um, you know, that, 
it, it does seem like there there's more fun to be had this time around. Mm-hmm. The, it's, it's not nearly as unrelentingly grim. Yeah. I mean, it's still not great, but at least it's not, you know, let's throw some sexual assaults in there because it's it's been 20 minutes since we've seen a rape boob exactly let's let's have someone talking awful to a you know woman in a sleazy hotel let's yeah we don't have any of that this time i'll say this that you know they they try to do the whodunit with who the killer is all before they they've never revealed them until the third act or or they've revealed them all along like we knew who the killers were and dirty harry and the enforcer magnum force it was a bit of a surprise but we knew they were cops we just didn't know which cops right and so to to go and now put it up as we, you know, it's going to be a complete whodunit. It's going to be a mystery, and we're going to throw all this uh, false light on it by making you think it's Peter Swan. That was a nice turn. That was a good idea. Yeah, poor execution, yes. but I think it was a good idea. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it, like it's close to be. It's it, this one of the best reviews I can give this movie, and it's also kind of the damning part of it too. It's almost good, but then it then it just fails because I think part of it is. They're trying to do two things here. They're making a statement about movie-obsessed fans, particularly horror fans, right? And people that you know go over the line and, and start to, to kill off. And how sick we are as a society to have things like this where you would actually sit around and bet on who's going to die next. Right. I, I did like that. Um, did you notice that in the scene in the office where they're watching the hits of Peter Swan – it's clips from real movies. Yes, and I was going to ask you, where did they get all the, What were all those? I didn't recognize many of them, but I know uh, they were well, real films. Uh, Cujo was one. Oh, wow. Um, he, if, me, he, if he got credit for Cujo, would that guy be directing Hotel Satan <laughs> that many years later? Clearly not. Uh, uh, maybe, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, I, Cujo was one of them. There was another one I recognized that at the time that I didn't write down, which I should have written down because it makes sense mm-hmm. uh, to plan ahead. <laughs> <laughs> hey, next time come to the podcast prepared. <laughs> oh, I, I did, but not no, with I'm... that. Cause it was too fast of a clip for me to get them all down. Cause it's just like, <laughs> boom, 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 montage, montage. But, uh, I did notice that, the one of the guys was wearing a day of the dead shirt. Yep. I did uh, see that. So, uh, there's lots of little homages, as uh, Peter Swan likes to say in here, uh, throughout sprinkled throughout the thing. I mean, um, there's uh, – hold on. I actually found a list of those movies now. Hold on. One of them was Phantasm. I oh, remember that. My, you know, Harry – yeah, Clint kind of looks like the old man in the Phantasm. So. Maybe they could uh, – if they need to do – for the next Phantasm movie, they just get Clint Eastwood some lifts and have him, have him scowl and point and say, <laughs> boy. <laughs> I don't know if he needs lifts. Clint's a pretty tall dude, so. Yeah, but um, is he Angus Scrim tall? Well, that's true. I don't know if anybody's that – well, uh, there are some people that tall, but I don't know. I don't – I can't think of a, an actor in that range of age that would be. But, but no, I mean I like – there's little stuff just sprinkled in, but w- the thing I'm missing here is – I feel like this is a paint by numbers film with dirty Harry scratched across it, you know, yeah. and it's, and it just feels kind of TV. You know, we talked about the enforcer felt a lot like a TV show or a TV movie. Mm-hmm. This one yeah, kind of feels the same way. The enforcer was like a pilot movie. Yeah. For like a dirty Harry TV show. Right. And this was like 
Dirty Harry as uh, the equalizer. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. so actually, that would have been that that would have been last time. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but this is like this is along those same lines though of of we're just gonna have well it, again it's that Law and Order plot we're gonna have this most you know crazy thing ripped from the headlines kind of uh, crime and uh, now we're gonna put Dirty Harry in it. Okay. Were there a lot of people murdering? No, this was uh, this was perfectly timely because this was shortly after. Um, that girl from My Sister Sam got stalked and murdered. Yeah, no, no, crazy it's, stalker. No, it's definitely timely. I mean, you had the Jodie Foster stalking in the early '80s. Everybody remember because you know the president got shot over that one. And yeah, I mean, that's this is definitely in the the pop culture norm. I also think this movie exists because of something that began to rise in the late '80s, and that was uh, obsession with true crime. And I will admit firmly, I I like true crime stories. I listen to podcasts about that, read books. You know, I, I find those fascinating from time to time. But there was a television obsession with that kind of stuff that started with like Geraldo in 2020 and you know 48 Hours and all those kind of shows that was around oh, yeah. this same time. And it feels like that this movie sort of works like that in a little bit. It's this again. It's a whodunit. It's the first time they've legitimately had a whodunit as part of a dirty hairy scheme. Is this dead air? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah yeah you're good. I, 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 I keep. It keeps randomly dropping you for some reason. Oh, that's strange. Yeah, I said this is the first time they've done a whodunit as a legitimate Dirty Harry scheme. But you don't see a lot of Dirty Harry doing police work. Yeah, that's the thing I'm missing here. Is he just seems to walk around and shoot people and then show up and go, eh, looks like the Deadpool. You know, and then that's it. If anything, it looks like Quan, uh, Al Quan is doing all the cop stuff. And then coming to Dirty Harry and then telling him what he discovered. Exactly. And he's, I, the, he's the guy doing research on Johnny Squares. He's the guy who's, who dug up the clips of the Peter Swan movies, mm-hmm. uh, one of which was Time After Time, where Jack the Ripper travels through time and kills people. That, that sounds delicious. I've That's never a, seen that. It's actually a great movie. That, I might, that may be worth watching someday, unlike this, I will say. Because the, uh, the problem with this for me... Uh, Ron is that this movie just kind of clunks along for so long and even to be 90 minutes it I was sitting there going like how much more of this do we have to get until that elevator shoot out I mean I wasn't I was just bored with this I, I won't lie it took me two sittings to get through it because I got really bored watching this one yeah it, it, it was kind of clunky <laughs> but I after I watched it back to back with uh, sudden impact. So this was like refreshing. Yeah. This was, this was like a, a glass of iced tea on a hot day after the, the nonstop parade of horrible things and sudden impact. Yeah. That's the thing. They, at least they, they knew not to go back to that because there was no way that they wanted to live that again. And maybe Clint had something to do with that. I would imagine he probably had a lot to say about the way this went down, but the problem with it is, is that there's just nothing left to tell. There's nothing interesting because uh, you've hit it. Callahan's not doing any of the work. Like before the partners were a part of things and stuff. The only one that's ever been really effective besides Quan here. And he's really just doing the work for him was Felton Perry. The, in the second movie, he was a good partner. Yeah. And that, that's why they blew him up. Well, clearly. Yeah. I I think this would have been a better movie if dirty Harry had done the police work. 
and Quan had done the action. Yeah. And I know Clint Eastwood isn't going to let that happen. Yeah. But I think that, you know, it would have it would have worked better. It would have been more of like a passing of the torch kind of thing. Um Dirty Quan. Yeah, Dirty Dirty Al. Dirty Al. <laughs> which sounds like a that sounds terrible. It sounds like a <laughs> Porno movie producer. <laughs> yeah, it does. So we'll, for all we know, Swan's doing a little bit of that on the side too. So. No, that was in the uh, was that the second or the third movie? Yeah, there was there was brothel. Four. Yeah, there was there, the brothel was in the third movie. So <laughs> yeah. Anyway, terrible. <laughs> yeah, but uh, not the point. The point is that I expected kind of a uh, and I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> yes. Moment, especially after Quan just beats the crap out of that guy. I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. Dirty Harry will flush him out, and the young guy will chase him down and beat them up for him. You know, because it's not like Dirty Harry's not effective. He's like a a, a, a tank. Yeah, he but a really but a really old tank. <laughs> yeah, he walks in and he shoots the big gun, and then you know it's up to the Bradleys and the Humphies to chase down the the fleeing guys. You know, right, and pick up the mess. <laughs> that's left behind because he just sort of lays waste to things and then oh yeah you know i mean that's how it goes here's a here's a question that came up in my mind watching mm-hmm. this has dirty harry ever had a meal that wasn't interrupted by some kind of murder i mean yeah the, crime there's, yeah there's coffee he never gets to eat he can't go to the bank he can't eat at the restaurant yeah i don't know i mean the poor man seems to only his only sustenance seems to be the occasional cup of coffee we see him down in the office. But yeah, I don't know. And, and it seems, and, and I like that he is apparently a regular at every place he goes to. Yeah, that, yeah, he always knows when something's wrong because uh, this isn't right, and and he's able to figure it out. And but it's it's uh, again, it's like we've made him into this super cop and this superhero for San Francisco, but yet he doesn't do anything anymore. It'd be like if Superman flew around and was like, okay, yeah, uh, somebody call Spider-Man to come over here and deal with this. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, that's sort of what, that's kind of like what happens here because he brings Quan in. You mean so, Superman Returns? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like my uh, trying to get, okay, yeah, I've got the recorder working again now, so we're good. So, whew, luckily. All right. We were saying Dirty Harry never gets to finish a meal. <laughs> was the last thing that right. I had. And then we were going to go... I think I asked you something along the lines of uh, what did you make of the fact that it's one of Swan's obsessed fans, and he doesn't actually kill Swan, so let me sit you back up on that. What did you make of the fact that this turns out to be one of Swan's obsessed fans, but he doesn't actually kill Peter Swan? I was kind of disappointed in it. I mean, if you're going to have an obsessed fan in the 80s, He's really got to like go after the object of his obsession. I mean, at some point you would think like I know he's got the TV reporter held hostage, but maybe he should have had Peter Swan held hostage too and and Dirty Harry had to do Batman Forever and choose. I think that would have been a good choice. Um or just to have imperiled Swan in some way. It doesn't make sense that this guy's obsessed with Swan, right? Right. Why would he? Why would he go out of his way to frame the guy he loves for all these crimes? Well, they do drop a line in there about how Swan rejected his uh, his script or whatever, and so that's why he he went after him. But that seems even that's kind of weak. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna do that, then he needs to try to kill Swan because Swan killed his career. Right. I mean, it's it's just 
Yeah. Well, and even more so is how they do it, is how Clint does him in here. I mean, he shoots him with a freaking harpoon gun. That's a stunt piece off the Hotel Satan set. Right. I mean, like, and he does the whole callback to the first movie, like, yeah, you're out of bullets because the guy's been shooting at him. And then he hits him with the harpoon. And I'm like, you know, I thought it was ridiculous when he shot somebody with a rocket. Now we've we've jumped into crazy town now. Yeah, this is like that's like a Nicolas Cage move. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. Well, it's I, a it's a Rambo move is what it is. Well, I did like the uh, callback to the, um, you know, he fired six shots thing. Yeah, but I, even that seemed ridiculous, though. Like, I, it, I don't know. Again, it, it maybe it's supposed to be a homage, but it's a poor one. <laughs> uh, I didn't say it was good. I just said <laughs> that it makes sense. What did you make? You, what did you make of the fact that he runs off with the uh, seemingly runs off with the TV reporter that he's cued on here with uh, at the end of the film? I I was not interested in that at all. No, and they don't seem to have a lot of chemistry either. No, that's maybe, the, that's the maybe, thing. Maybe it's the fact that he's old enough to be her dad. That maybe that's it. Maybe he's gonna she's gonna go help him get to the home. Or I don't know. She's gonna go put his pills into some applesauce. <laughs> Or make sure he takes them one way or the other, right? He's got to be on. I don't know. It, it, like I said, this movie clunks along, and then it just kind of clunks at the end. I, I mean, it was I, it was literally over, and I was like, oh, oh, that's it. Yeah, I, I'd I forgotten how abruptly it ends. I expected Liam Neeson to come back and play a part in the, the finale. Yeah, at least he'd have been around for it or something. Or maybe he's like, I'm going to make a film about you, Hall- Callahan. You know, but yeah, some kind of um, I think we'll call it dirty. Harry, yeah, and then, Harry. and then and then you yeah, have you know, Callahan kinda... look at him and go, swell, and then that you know, and that's it. That's how it should end. The see, we've rewritten it. It's already best. We've given it a better <laughs> ending, or better yet, um, he Swan is kidnapped, and during the climactic shootout, a bunch of chemicals get poured on his face, and he becomes Dark Man. <laughs> That's only a few short years away. So, well, I think we're a few short minutes away from ending this series. So, what are your final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn rating for the Deadpool? Uh, I'm gonna go with a medium popcorn. Uh, in comparison to the last Dirty Harry movie, this one is at least better because it's lighter in tone. If such a thing is possible for a Dirty <laughs> Harry movie to be light in tone, yeah. Uh, I did like the uh, addition of Quan. They made a good team, I thought. Uh, I think you could have dropped the whole romantic subplot completely. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, at this stage, Clint Eastwood probably needs the ego stroking. Mm. Um, and that's the only reason I could think of to even have you know, poor Patricia Clarkson in this flick. <laughs> um, as... As series enders go, I mean, it makes sense that this is the final one because I think even Clint Eastwood is aware of how ridiculous it is to have a you know an action hero in his sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, little did he know that Taken would become a thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I would say this: Liam Neeson looks a lot better in his sixties than Clint did in his. You know, no offense, Clint, but yeah, Clint was a uh, was a uh, 
spent a lot of time baking in the Italian sun. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Liam did not do that. Uh, well, at least just that one summer in Tunisia with George Lucas that we'll all try to forget. <laughs> I, I'm going to join you on the medium popcorn, maybe for a slightly different reason, though. I, this one is, is much more watchable than the last one, for sure. But there's some fun to be had here. I would dare say there's probably an hour of, of good movie here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they had fixed the other 30 minutes of it, it, it might even be good enough to be a large popcorn. But in this case, that these things are, I, you know, there's only so many things they could still do. Uh, Quan was a nice thing. I liked him. I even liked Liam Neeson's cheesy, hammy performance. I thought that was neat. But the plot just doesn't really work for me. It's still TV movie of the week. It's pretty lame. And I'm one of those people that does the fan retcon of Grand Torino is actually the last Dirty Harry movie because that's what Dirty Harry would go do. Um, and people thought that at the time it was going to be that. But of course, it turned out to be much, much different. And it's, it's a fantastic film if you haven't seen it. But I would give that a, a much higher rating. This Eh, it's medium popcorn. It's it's the definition I've I've said so many times of what that really means. It's it's just middling. You know, it just doesn't quite succeed, but it doesn't completely fail either. So I'll give it a little bit of a pass. So now having looked at all five of these, Ron, I kinda want to ask you a question. How would you rate them? And if you were gonna recommend Dirty Harry to somebody else, what would you tell them to watch for sure? Uh I would tell them for sure to watch um well Dirty Harry, obviously. Uh, Magnum Force, and parts of this one, and parts of um, the third one, whose name escapes me. The Enforcer. Yeah, parts of The Enforcer, and parts of this one. See, and so, so skip Sudden Impact altogether. Sudden Impact didn't happen. <laughs> There's just, only four Dirty Harry movies. <laughs> You're just totally retconned of this. <laughs> I will say this, I would never tell someone to watch Sudden Impact. It's a Awful, ugly film. I, I, no. Uh, the Deadpool, I think you can skip. The Enforcer, uh, nah. I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I think there's there's two of these. And, and I'm going to tell you, of them, I think Magnum Force is the superior film. It's a Michael Mann film before there were Michael Mann films. I, and I, I almost think, like, if, if he had gotten his hands on it, what it would have been. You know? Because <laughs> it, it works along that level. It's long. It's epic. There's lots going on. And it... You know, it, it also has an ending that leaves you wanting more. And I, I like the original Dirty Harry. I think it's iconic. It introduces so many things. There's parts of it that just don't date and, and I don't relate to because I'm not the age enough to have understood what the fear of the Zodiac Killer was, you know. But Magnum Force <laughs> is, is something that seems like it could work in any era. And, and I like that. And I will say this. If they were to remake Dirty Harry... I would, if they wanted to reboot it or reimagine it or whatever, I would almost hope they would go back and try to do a take on Magnum Force again. I think that's the superior of them. And I want to say a lot of that is John Milius. I think he knew what to do with this character and these, these archetypes. And it didn't work without him. Well, it worked a little bit before him, but it hasn't worked since he walked away from it. And I think it, they missed his touch on a lot of this stuff. Clint needed someone else to to make this work. And that would have worked for me. Well, they've already redone, uh, they've already done a, a good last dirty, hairy flick. It's the, uh, the, it's the, that yellow bastard portion of, uh, sin city. True. <laughs> yeah. It very much could be. You're right. That, no, it's that's mm-hmm. Frank Miller has actually said that when he went to see the Deadpool, he disliked it so much. <laughs> he wanted to do the last dirty, hairy story. 
Well, and so that's I, where they get the idea of Hardigan, the aging detective. That's why Nancy's Nancy uh, Callahan. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never put that together. I haven't heard that. That's fantastic. I, I almost wish Frank Miller would have had a shot at one. That would be something. Especially would, in like 1987. It would have been phenomenal. Yeah. Well, who would you cast if they did Dirty Harry again? Oh, I would go Josh Brolin for sure. I like Josh Brolin as well. I'm not. I, I've actually had said before, and it's almost a little on the nose because they both sneer a lot. Timothy Oliphant would work because I like him in Justified. So I, I think that's another good one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see it. But here's the thing: I don't think they would ever do it again. You know, and there are no sacred cows in Hollywood, so there's always a chance. But I don't think, I don't think the public would ever go for something like this again. Do you? I don't think this is a series we could reintroduce to people. I, I don't know. I think there's always an audience for a remake. Well, it could be interesting if they ever got around to it, you know, how they would do it and when. But uh, I don't know. You know, Clint, Clint is in his uh, mid-80s now, so clearly he's not going to do any of it. I mean, but you would wonder if he would have any involvement with such a thing. So, Or if maybe he, he is the reason that there isn't one, <laughs> because he may be, you know, going, ah, uh, no. <laughs> I would say if there's anything stopping them, it's him. Yeah, I would I would think so, too. I, I don't disagree with you there. Well, thanks for joining me on this latest turn as we've gone through the I almost said turd there. This latest <laughs> this latest turn as we've gone through the dirty, hairy flicks. Lots more stuff coming up in the future on Filmstrip here. You can catch up with us, folks, on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. All kinds of different reviews there for you to check out. Hook up with us on Twitter and Facebook. Let us know what you think. Hey, you got a suggestion for a show? Throw it out there. You never know. Ron and I took uh, Twitter suggestion last last October of House of the Devil and turned that into a two-parter, did that in Annabelle. So you never know when this suggestion will hit us just right. Ron, if folks want to follow your writing, uh, what are you working on at Den of Geek right now? I am finishing up uh, The Walking Dead right now. So you can read my thoughts on everyone's favorite turgid slog through the post-apocalyptic Atlanta <laughs> trying to trying to pretend to be Washington. I can only describe my experience of watching The Walking Dead as if, if Kevin Costner in his epic heydays were allowed to have made a zombie movie, it would be The Walking Dead. That's a really <laughs> good description. I think I should steal that at some point. In the times I've tried to watch that, that's exactly how I felt <laughs> in watching that show. But good stuff as always. Of course, you write a lot about, about a lot of other things there too, so people can read through your writings and enjoy. Folks, of course, you can always find our other podcast ventures on our website there, The Art of Slang, The Babish Factor, Square Circle Flashbacks, all of it there available for you. Again, thank you for your support. And for Ron, I'm Jay. We appreciate you listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17. 